Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 14 is where we're going to be at. We're going to just cover just verse 14 today. But I want to read verses 1 through 14 to get us back up to speed. Matthew 24, verse 1. As Yeshua left and was going out of the temple complex, his disciples came up and called his attention to the temple buildings. Then he replied to them, Don't you see all these things? I assure you, not one stone will be left here on another that will not be thrown down. While he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples approached him privately and said, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Then Yeshua replied to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. You are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these events are the beginning of birth pains. Then they will hand you over for persecution and they will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will take offense, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be delivered. And this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. May Yahweh bless His word to our hearts today. We've gotten through verse 13. I've taught Matthew 24 verses 1 through 13. And I've shown that all of the signs that Yeshua predicted, He prophesied. He was a prophet. He was a prophet of Yahweh. All of the signs that Yeshua predicted in verses 4 through 13 happened in that generation, just like he said they would. Many came claiming to be anointed. There were wars and rumors of wars. There were famines, earthquakes, and pestilences. There was severe persecution of his followers. Those that followed the Messiah were severely persecuted, stoned, put to death in various ways. And everywhere that they went, in every nation surrounding the land of Israel that they went, they were hated for believing that Yeshua was the Messiah, the Son of Yahweh. But the ones who endured to the end of their life, the ones who did not give in to the persecution, the severe persecution on their life, the ones who did not deny Yeshua the Messiah, even though they died in this life, they received eternal life. And that's the promise that we talked about in the last time that I taught about this. And these were all signs, these are sign texts that Yeshua said would happen before the generation alive at that time passed away. They were signs that led up to the destruction of the temple just like He prophesied. Don't you see all these things? He says in Matthew 24 verse 2, talking about the temple that He just walked out of. Don't you see these things? I assure you, my disciples, not one stone will be left here on another that will not be thrown down. The temple that had once been a house of prayer to Yahweh, but the rebellious Judahite leaders had turned it into a den of thieves, a den of iniquity. The builders had rejected the chief stone of the corner. The tenant farmers rejected the son of the landowner, so the son turned his back on the temple 
that was once called my father's house, he said. But now in Matthew 23, 38, he says to the rebellious Judahite leaders, Behold, your house is left uninhabited or desolate. So the disciples wanted to know, when will these things take place? And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Remember, that's the threefold question in verse 3. And that's the question that Yeshua has been answering thus far in verses 4 through 13. He's been giving various signs that lead up to the end of the age. And each of these signs happened back in the first century A.D. Now today we come to verse 14, and it's a verse that some people believe to be a hurdle for those like me who believe that Yeshua's words here were fulfilled in the first century and that we don't await a future fulfillment of Matthew 24, 14, but that it's already been fulfilled. People think verse 14 is, is a hurdle. I believe that everything that Yeshua prophesied from Matthew 24, verses 4 through 33 took place before the generation alive at that time passed away. And the reason I believe that, the main reason I believe that, is because that's what the Messiah told His disciples would happen. In Matthew 24, 34, He said, I assure you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And you can study the Gospels for yourself. You, we have these great Bible apps on our phone now that pull up things just in a matter of seconds. They're so quick. But you can study every time that Yeshua uses the phrase, this generation in the Gospels, it always, without exception, means the generation to whom He is speaking. And He says, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. So, in Matthew 24, verse 14, Yeshua says, this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Now, Brother Matthew, there is no way that the gospel was preached in all the world back in the first century. There's no way that the end has already come. I've had some people, before they really ask me what I believe, they think that I've lost it or I'm nuts or I'm crazy or I don't know what I'm talking about. But here again, I think that people make statements like these because we tend to read the text of the Bible with 21st century glasses on rather than 1st century glasses on. See, a key to properly interpreting the Bible is to make certain that you are not reading the biblical text with a modern American filter or any other filter for that matter. You must train yourself to read the text from the perspective of the people to whom it was first spoken and or written. As I like to say, the only meaning of any text is its original meaning. After that, we may branch out to principles and secondary applications, but what the original author intended to convey to the original audience in the original language that he wrote, that's the meaning of the text. And yes, most of the time, this takes diligent and detailed study. And the reason is, is because we're far removed from that time and that culture. We have to find out who the author is and who the original recipients were of the writing. We have to find out what was going on in the culture of that time. 
what do certain words originally mean? How does this author use these same words elsewhere in his writings? And are there any parallel texts that will help shed light on the one text that we're studying? All of these are good questions that you must ask yourself when you do Bible study. All of these questions will help you put first century glasses on if you're reading Matthew 24, which took place in the first century. You'll put those first century glasses on and you will begin to understand the text in its original context and culture. All of these questions should be asked by the student of Scripture. And I go so far as to say that we dishonor Yahweh when we don't ask these questions when we study the Bible. We dishonor Yahweh to think that we can just open up the Bible, read it for a few minutes, close it up, and think that we know everything about what we just read. Bible knowledge takes spending time in the Bible. And you know, it's okay if you don't get everything at one time. There's things I know now that I didn't know one year ago or 15 or 20 years ago. It's okay, but you've got to start somewhere. And you need to to apply these things to your life. And you know, if you just take five verses and you really study those five verses out, seek to understand what those verses originally meant. You have to start somewhere. It's honoring to Yahweh to ask these questions when we study the Bible and we properly interpret the Scriptures. So, was Matthew 24, 14 fulfilled in the first century? How could the gospel of the kingdom be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations and the end have came back in the first century? Well, first, let's look at the phrase, the gospel of the kingdom. This phrase is found four times in the New Testament, three times in the book of Matthew, and one time in the book of Mark. Early on in the ministry of Yeshua, he proclaimed this, according to Matthew 4.23, Yeshua was going all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Now before this, in Matthew 3.1-2, we read, In those days, John the baptizer came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. The New American Standard Bible renders this last part literally as the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Notice the words near and at hand. Matthew 3, 1 through 2. HCSB, Holman Christian Standard Bible, the kingdom of heaven has come near. New American Standard Bible, and I believe the King James Version says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Notice those two words. Yeshua basically says the same thing in Matthew 4.17, which reads, From then on, Yeshua began to preach, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Again, New American Standard Bible renders this more literally as the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So here we have two preachers, Yohanan and Yeshua, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and they preach that it is something near, something close to their grasp. If you look up the words at hand, in like the New American Standard Bible or the King James Version, you will see that every time that you read that something is at hand, it means that it's close. That's a time text. That's a time indicator. 
And it works really, really good when you study prophecy. Don't ignore the time texts. When something's at hand, it's close. It's just like if I were to say, this Bible is at hand compared to that Bible. That is a word that talks about a Bible further away from me. This is a near demonstrative word that means this Bible is close to me where I can pick it up. It is at hand. That's how the biblical authors use that phrase, at hand. It indicates something is near, something is close. Not way off in the future, but something that is close. Mark 1.15 adds to this by recording Yeshua as saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of the Almighty has come near, or at hand, depending on what Bible you're reading. Repent and believe in the good news, or the gospel. Same thing. The gospel about the kingdom means the good news about the king and his dominion. The king is Yeshua, the one that Yahweh sent to be king. And his dominion is the dominion, power, authority, and kingdom that would be given to Yeshua by Yahweh, catch this now, at his first coming, specifically after his resurrection from the dead in Matthew 28, 18. Yeshua says, all power has been given to me both in heaven and in earth. He didn't make a statement like that until after he was raised from the dead. And then he went up to heaven to be with the Father and took his seat at the right hand of the Father. All power was given to him. That's the dominion that the king operates in. And that happened at the first coming of Christ. The kingdom was something that was close, according to both John the baptizer and Yeshua. They both said it's near or at hand. And this is the gospel that Yeshua says will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations in Matthew 24, 14. So, was this gospel, was this good news about the kingdom proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations before the generation alive at that time passed away? And I believe the answer is yes. And I'm going to prove that in this lesson by doing one thing, just allowing the Bible to interpret the Bible. You don't need to go outside of the Bible to prove that this took place. The Apostle Paul, who we know was a Christian, a Christian and an Israelite, a once rebellious Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin. He was once rebellious. He murdered the believers in Christ. But he later came to faith in Christ. He was a powerful messenger for Yeshua in the first century. And he wrote a letter to the congregation in Colossae. And that letter is commonly called Colossians because it was written to the people or the saints at Colossae. Paul wrote this letter while he was in prison. And Paul wrote this letter in the early 60s A.D. That's when he penned this letter. So this letter was written around 30 years after Yeshua died. Yeshua died roughly, I'm not saying exactly, but roughly around 30 A.D. Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians around the early 60s A.D. And in Colossians 1 verse 6, Paul writes this, The gospel that has come to you, it is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and recognized the Almighty's grace in the truth. Later on in the same chapter in Colossians 1.23, Paul continues by saying, the gospel that you heard has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. So what we have here is Paul 
writing a letter to the congregation at Colossae in the early 60s AD, which we now know was very close to the destruction of the temple at Jerusalem in AD 70. And Paul says at that time that the gospel had been proclaimed all over the world and to all creation under heaven. That sounds almost identical to what Yeshua said in Matthew 24, 14. That this gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Yeshua said that it would be. Paul said that it was in the early 60s AD. But what about the phrase, as a testimony to all nations, used by the Messiah in Matthew 24, 14? Well, for starters, I think that the phrase all the world or in all the world and in all creation under heaven would cover to all nations. But Paul does say something else similar to this phrase at the end of the book of Romans. He says in Romans 16, 25 through 26, Paul writes to the church at Rome, 1st century A.D. Now to him who has power to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation of Yeshua the Messiah, according to the revelation of the sacred secret, kept silent for long ages, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures, according to the command of the Eternal Almighty, to advance the obedience of faith among all nations. Now if you read the New American Standard Bible or the King James Version, it reads here at the end of verse 26, has been made known to all the nations, leading to the obedience of faith. According to Paul's letter to the Romans, this gospel he preached had been made known to all the nations in the first century. Now this sounds very similar to what Luke writes, another witness, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, about the day of Pentecost there in the first century. It says, Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages as the Spirit gave them the ability for speech. There were Judahites dwelling in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. So there were men on the day of Pentecost from every nation under heaven there that heard Peter preach his first salvation sermon, which was about the gospel of the kingdom, the king and his dominion. Now, here's what we must understand about all of this. When Yeshua said that this gospel of the kingdom must be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, He was not talking about the known world in 2016. He was talking about the world of His time in the first century A.D. So we put those first century glasses on and we begin to understand this. A huge key here is to recognize that Yeshua was prophesying about the known inhabited world at his time and all the nations, when it talks about all the nations, it's speaking of all the nations into which the people from the tribes of Israel had been scattered and sifted into. Just as Acts 2 verse 5 says, the men there on the day of Pentecost by nationality were Judahites. King James says they were Jews. That means they were from the house of Judah. That was their nationality. They were Israelites from the tribe or the house of Judah. But it says in verses 4 through 5 that they were from every nation under heaven. 
And then in Acts chapter 2, if you read Acts 2 verses 9 through 11, Luke lists all the nations that they were from. See, they had traveled from their own nation to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. So they were Israelites scattered throughout the known world at that time. They were in every nation under heaven, meaning all of the nations in that area of the earth surrounding the center of the earth, which to a Hebrew or an Israelite would have been the city of Jerusalem. That was the heart of the earth or the center of the earth. And all the nations surrounding that land, the known world at that time, had heard the gospel in the first century. One of the criteria for the end to come, Matthew 24, 14, and remember, that's the end of the age, not the end of humanity. Some Bibles say end of the world. That's not accurate. It should be translated the end of the age. One of the criteria is that the gospel of the kingdom had to be proclaimed in all of the world. Now we understand it's the world of that time as a witness or testimony to all nations. Also, realize this. The gospel being proclaimed as a witness does not mean that everyone that heard the gospel would receive it. Okay, It's not saying that. Yeshua is not saying in Matthew 24, 14 that everywhere the gospel of the kingdom is preached, every single individual Israelite in the land of Israel or in the surrounding nations in the world will receive this gospel. He's only saying that one of the criteria for the end of the age is that the gospel of the kingdom must be preached as a witness into all the world, as a testimony to all nations, and then the end of the age would come. And that makes sense because when we read the book of Acts, when the gospel of the kingdom is preached, some Israelites receive it. 3,000 in Acts chapter 2, plus 2,000 in Acts chapters, I think, 4 through 5, which totaled 5,000. But most, most Israelites, most Judahites, rejected that gospel. Here's something else that will help us in getting the proper interpretation of Matthew 24, 14. The word for world here, used in the Greek text of Matthew, is the word oikumene. It is not the more common Greek word for world used in the New Testament, which is the word cosmos. Most of the time when you see the word world in your New Testament Bible, if you look it up in the Greek text of the New Testament, from which we get our English translation, it will be the Greek word cosmos. Some people say cosmos. Here in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, it is not the word cosmos. Out of all the uses of the word world in the book of Matthew, this is the only time when oikumene is used. Now, why do you think that's the case? I think it was because the author who wrote this book in Greek intended to convey a different idea or concept in Matthew 24, 14 than he did when he used the words cosmos or the other words, Greek words for world or translated as world. Now, oikumene often carries with it a more restricted meaning like this. It means inhabited earth or Roman Empire in the New Testament. It's made up of two Greek words, oikos, which means to inhabit, or house, and gay, G-H-E-Y, meaning land or soil. And you will run into a problem if you only read one translation of the Bible here. You'll run into a problem, and that's because there are three different Greek words in the New Testament that often mean three different things. 
But the King James Version translates all three different words into one English word as world. That's not accurate. The words are cosmos, which is probably best translated as world, oikumene, which is best translated as inhabited land or earth, and then there's a third word, aeon, which is best translated as an age or a period of time. We ran into this back in verse 3 a little bit where the disciples asked about the end of the world if you read the King James Version, but that's not correct. It should be translated the end of the age because that Greek word is aeon, not cosmos. So we've got three different Greek words going on here in the New Testament. We can't translate them all with one English word. There are three different Greek words because they convey three different ideas. It's important that we translate them accordingly. Here in Matthew 24, 14, Yeshua is speaking of the gospel of the kingdom going out into the oikumene in the Greek, the inhabited earth, specifically meaning the places in the earth where the scattered Israelites lived. This would include the land of Israel at that time as well as the surrounding nations in the known inhabited earth of that time. The same word, oikumene, is used in Luke chapter 2 verse 1. Same Greek word is used where we read, if we read the King James Version, it says this, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. All the world? Did Caesar Augustus tax Canada? Did he tax Australia? No, of course not. That's why the Holman Christian Standard Bible translates this as, in Luke 2 verse 1, that the whole empire should be registered. The word is oikumene in the Greek, and it refers to the Roman Empire. The Romans controlled the known world at that time, governmentally. And so the New American Standard or the HCSB will translate that accordingly. Not all the world, because Caesar Augustus did not tax all the cosmos, but he did tax all the oikumene. Caesar Augustus was registering or taxing the inhabited earth of his empire of his time. And Luke 2.1 is the exact same word oikumene as Matthew 24, 14, where the gospel of the kingdom is preached into all the inhabited earth, or the Roman Empire. See, now it makes sense why in the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 5 through 7, I found this text probably on the fourth or fifth time going through this study. I didn't find it the first time or the first four times, but I think it was about the fifth time I found the Acts 17 text where it says that the disciples of Christ had turned the world upside down. And the Greek word for world there is the oikumene. They had turned the inhabited land of the Roman Empire upside down with what? With the teaching about the Messiah. That a Savior had come. It wasn't Caesar. and It wasn't Rome. It was Yeshua, the Messiah. Again, this is the same Greek word used in Matthew 24, 14 to convey the message that Yeshua gave during the Olivet Discourse. Yeshua said that the end would come, the end of the age, that is talking about the end of the Old Covenant age and the beginning of the New Covenant age, after this proclamation of the gospel happened. So after the disciples heard Yeshua's prophecy of the temple's desolation, they asked Him, well, when will these things happen, Lord? And what is the sign of Your coming and of the end of the age? And Yeshua goes on and explains it to them. And He begins by giving them general signs in verses 4 through 8. But he says the end is not yet. The end of what? 
the end of the age. It's not yet. That's, he says that in verse 6. He continues by telling them they will undergo severe persecution. That's verses 9 through 13. And I preached, I know at least one sermon on that, possibly two, where we went through the book of Acts and we talked about and showed how that the early disciples were not just persecuted, they were not just talked about. They were persecuted bodily, physically, stoned. Acts, Remember Acts 6 through 7 where it talks about how that Stephen was stoned to death, but yet Stephen was so full of the Holy Spirit that he prayed right before he was stoned. He said, Lord, do not lay this sin at their charge. These men, and they were, they were physical brothers from, from the nation of Judah, they were throwing rocks at Stephen because of his message about Yeshua. And Stephen prayed for him. The men that threw rocks at him to kill him, he prayed for him. Please don't hold this sin to their charge. Forgive them for this. Brothers and sisters, that's, that's a good measure of Yahweh's Spirit dwelling in Stephen right there. That's, that's, a, that's a powerful thing. Meditate on that. Meditate on that when you get some time. Read that, Acts 6 through 7. So then Yeshua says that the gospel of the kingdom, after he gives the severe persecution signs that would happen, and they happen, he says the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the inhabited earth as a witness or a testimony to all the nations. And now we understand all the nations means all the nations that surround the heart of the earth, that surround Israel, where the Israelites were scattered and sifted, divorced and scattered by Yahweh in the Old Testament, but they were being brought back through the blood of Christ. When that happened, when the gospel was preached into all the world like Paul said it was, then the end of the age would come. And I think that I've shown tonight I'm not infallible. I could be wrong. I'm just a man. I just try to study the Bible and teach what I see. But I think that I've shown tonight by only using the Bible that the generation alive at that time experienced the fulfillment of Matthew 24 verse 14 just like Yeshua said they would in Matthew 24, verse 34. I assure you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. That includes verse 14. But Matthew 24, 14 is only the approximate sign. It's what I like to call the approximate sign of the end. It's definitely a bigger sign than the earthquakes, the, the wars, the famines and the pestilence and the severe persecution. That leads up to the end of the age the gospel being preached in all the world is a bigger sign than that. It's a larger birth pain than all those other things. But it's still an approximate sign because we have the more direct sign in Matthew twenty-four fifteen through 21. And let's end this lesson by reading these verses. Matthew twenty-four fifteen through 21 as we close. He says then, So when you see the abomination that causes desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. A man on the housetop must not come down to get things out of his house. And a man in the field must not go back to get his clothes. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. Pray that your escape may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For at that time there will be great tribulation the kind that has not taken place from the beginning of the world until now and never will again.
So Yeshua tells his disciples in Matthew 24, remember, they're sitting there with him on the Mount, Mount of Olives. He tells his disciples, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, those in Judea must flee to the mountains. That, brothers and sisters, that is the most direct sign of the end of the age. That is a sign that a lot of people think is still yet to be in the future. I once thought that as well. But I no longer think that. I believe that was a sign for that particular generation. And that's come and that's gone. And I'll begin to look at that next Sabbath and new moon. I'll teach two lessons on those verses. So let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for another time of Bible study. I pray that your word would be a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. I pray that it would bring further understanding and enlightenment to the people here, your scriptures. And I ask that the words that I preach today, would uh, you would attach your spirit to them and, and let them do what you would have them to accomplish. Um, thank you, Father, for the Olivet Discourse. It's important that we understand it so we're not led astray by many false prophetic prognostications of our day and time. And so we're not led also, so that we're not led along uh, by the fear of man and the control of, uh, of certain earthly leaders. So, Father Yahweh, I pray that you give us a good understanding. Help me, Father Yahweh, uh, to follow along accordingly, scripturally, and um, show me, Father, the truths. So I don't want to relay anything in error or incorrect to the people here. So I love you, and I appreciate you, and I thank you. Most of all, I thank you for your son, Yeshua the Messiah, uh, the one that you sent. I pray all these things to you, Holy Father, through Yeshua. Amen.